passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives we're consumed by all the what if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun if you're like us then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass or play call each week on alternate routes we'll take a flashpoint in sports break down what actually happened then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused follow alternate routes on the wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts you can listen early and ad free right now by joining wondery plus this is Bustin' Loose Baseball with Grant and Danny. Interviews, analytics, and analysis on everything baseball in the nation's capital. Bustin' Loose Baseball, Grant Paulson, Danny Ruye, and producer Gareth Dameron with you. Happy to be bringing you a second pod of the week. We are taping as the Nats are playing a matinee Against the Cardinals, they'll try to battle back and beat St. Louis after a pretty devastating ninth inning and an awful loss last night. If you go back to Wednesday evening, the Nationals dropped a 6-5 to game. They led by four runs, 5-1 to going into the ninth inning. And in fact, Danny, this season in Major League Baseball, teams that were up by four runs were 8-17-0 in the ninth inning at protecting four-run leads this year. Those teams are now 8-17-1. What was the one? Oh, yeah, we just went over it. Yeah, that's a tough one. I mean, Kevin Franzen on the telecast mentioned that a lot of times it's hard for closers, and Kyle Finnegan is no exception, to have the same juice, same adrenaline, same stuff when it's not a save situation. Well, he pitched himself into a save situation. It wasn't, you know, a bunch of home runs, uh, some walks here or there, an atom of the beginning. Couple base hits fall in, and and there's your extra base hit to win it. That was a tough one. I mean, listen, losses pile up and they accumulate. I, I remember thinking years ago in 2012. This is an obscure memory. More than it's a decade ago now. A 98 win team, by the way. I think it was in August. Had a eight or nine run lead against the Braves. Coughed it up, you know. In in this, you know, the last couple innings they fell apart. Braves ended up coming back to win. And I was like, this is just a this will be a seminal moment. This young team that wasn't ready, they're going to go into the toilet. They won't be able to come back. And they ended up splitting the series, winning the next two games. And, you know, of course, 198 ball games. And their failure against the Cardinals had nothing to do with the fact that they blew that game against the Braves. It rolls off. And that's what being a pro is. It sort of teaches you how to do that, how to deal with the adversity that's inevitable in this game, et cetera. But in the moment, I think for those young guys, that's a tough one, man. You did everything right for eight and two-thirds innings, pretty much. And, and to lose it that way, you know, it's, this is a 100-loss season. We're just counting down the days till it happens. But that one's probably going to sit with them a little bit longer. Well, they'd won six out of eight after they blanked the Cardinals on Monday, six to nothing. And then they lost four to one on Tuesday. And so, not that it really matters, but it was a chance to finish that. You will, at that point, have taken two out of the first three from St. Louis. You wouldn't have lost the series no matter what happened in this finale that's ongoing right now. And you would have had 170 or last 10. Again, this is all kind of moral victory stuff because – what really matters. I mean, the development of young players, whether they're winning or losing these games, is largely irrelevant. But it was tough to watch Finnegan get hit around that way. And you're right about closers. I've never really understood 
the psychology behind what you referenced. I guess you said Franzen had mentioned it on the, the telecast. Mm-hmm. I was listening to Charlie and Dave for the most part, but I don't understand why that's a thing, but I've come to believe it is a thing. It just There's enough anecdotal evidence now. I used to think it was just kind of a platitude that people who didn't do their homework said, you know, but it's real. I mean, these closers, when they're in these situations where they're brought into the game basically to get work because they haven't thrown or just because it's their day to pitch or to keep their arm fresh, whatever it is, and it's a three, four, five, six-run lead, it, it is different than a one-run game. And, and as a non-save four-run cushion, I get that you don't have the same juices flowing as coming into the game to strand a base runner or to pitch out of a big spot. It's weird that that's a thing, but I, I do subscribe to it. No, it is. I, I mean, at, at all levels that I've dealt with, my, my roommate and uh, my best friend on my college team was our closer. And... Midweek games where he was just going to throw an inning, he was not the same as Saturday in a conference game. He just wasn't. And it's not because he didn't care. It's not because he didn't want to try to throw well. That's what he did. He just wasn't the same guy when it came to it. And you, I've seen it time after time after time after time with big league closers and you know people at kind of all levels. They're adrenaline junkies. You know, you thrive on that. There's no net. There's no way to, uh, you know, uh, sort of bumpers on, on, your, on your bowling alley. It's a f- high failure thing. Any small bit of adversity, thing that doesn't go your way, can be magnified. Nobody remembers the, um, you know, the, the 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 bad run you that your team gave up in the fifth or the sixth that ended up costing you. They remember that ninth inning, right? That that's the guy that's always the goat. I don't mean in the Michael Jordan way. I mean in the oh my god, you screwed us up kind of way. I have no trust in the closer. It's a really really hard thing to do to basically sit around all day for hours and hours and hours and then get up and and have the you know the, the ultimate adrenaline pump but the guys that can really do it thrive in that kind of environment so i understand not having the same juice if it's artificial in that game though and in that loss prior to finnegan blowing the lead in the ninth carl edwards got a hold in the eighth had a clean inning with a strikeout wanted to just point him out really quickly as a guy who's been tremendous this year i mentioned on the podcast and i still say i would have traded him same here like 31 years old but with controllability, a guy that'll be back next year and should be a fixture in this bullpen, they grabbed him off of the scrap heap, and they've gotten a lot out of him this season. He's going to end up pitching in somewhere around, I would guess, close to 60 games, like 57, 58 games or something like that after not even starting the year at the big league level. He's got a sub-three earn run average. Now, I have mentioned this, and I will continue to tell you that ERA is a bad way to evaluate relief pitching performance. You know, when you're looking at relievers and bullpen arms, I think ERA is really misleading because one bad outing where you give up, you know, you walk someone on a close pitch that they spit on, then you give up a bloop single with a broken bat, and you make one mistake that gets barreled and it's a three-run homer, you're basically having to pitch six, seven really good innings in a row just to get your ERA back in whack. So there are just other ways, whether it's strikeout rate or whip or other things that are indicative, I think, of relief pitching excellence, um, depending on the role. Maybe it's the percentage of runners you're stranding, you know, the bats you're missing, things like that. But I will say on Edwards, you know, a 2.9 ERA on the season, 52 innings, 49 strikeouts, almost a K per inning pitch. His whip is a little over 1.1. If you look at the, the splits for him, you know, in his last couple of weeks, he's got a 2.7 ERA. Last 15 games, he's got a 2.5. I mean, the last month, He's been better even than he's been on the, the whole season, including his strikeout rate trending up just a tad. Uh, this was a, a win for them. I mean, they found a guy here. Yes. You look at some of the uh, percentile metrics that we talk about on this pot a lot. 76th percentile average exit velo, 79th percentile hard hit rate, 83rd percentile expected ERA and expected WOBA, uh, 86th percentile X batting average, 88th percentile X slug, 93rd percentile of barrel rate. Fastball spin rate is 97th percentile. I think that's an area where he's really shown major strides. I mean, his fastball spin's always been great. Going back to 2019, he had like a 98th percentile fastball spin. 2016, 100th percentile. But I think because it's become more in vogue, it's going to keep him in the bigs. It's going to keep him getting shots in his 30s, pitching at the top of the zone, where you know his velo at... 94, 96, you know, at any given moment uh, is going to look higher than that for the most part. 
Um, but doesn't miss a lot of bats for a, a power arm at the end of the bullpen. You know, whiff percentage, 44th percentile, chase rate, 51st percentile, walk percentage, 19th percentile. So there's some things to work on, but by and large, I think the stuff has been really good for a guy who has thrown his fastball about 67% of the time and then throws a lot more change-ups than he'd expect, but it's mostly it's fastball, it's curveball for him. He's throwing harder than he has in any year since 2017, average fastball velocity. Is he right around, where is he now? 94.7, the okay. drive. Um, his uh, 2017 velocity was in was in the 95 range. So they're playing Michael Jackson on that radio station? Yeah, it's it's a, it's a lot of prints, it's a lot of 80 hits. Who programs Carl Edwards' velocity? Davey Kiner Jr., I think, is oh, the guy. Davey That's Kiner. a very inside joke for three or four people. Nobody gets that joke. And just let it – we just want you to know that it's really funny. It's a great joke. We're just telling you right now, it's a great bit. You won't give us credit for it. You guys wish you got that joke because it's a funny inside joke. It's for me, for Danny and Darius. And then, like, two other people would be like, huh, yeah. Any hurdles, he's he's been really good in, in with his fastball and the spin rate part of it, uh, something I wanted to touch on. I'm telling you, there's something going on with his fastball where hitters don't look comfortable. It's 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 not quite a, what it is. It's not quite a doolittle effect where it's you know it's tunneling. It looks like it's hydroplaning and it's taken off. I swear to you, sometimes his fastball cuts. Sometimes it rides. It's there's something a little extra movement to it in addition to that spin rate that I, I can't put my finger on because it's not every time. I saw it last night when he was he was um, uh, pitching up in the zone a couple times. Got a called strike on a pitch that frankly was probably a little bit out of the box, a little bit up, but. I telling you, there was horizontal break on that ball, and I'm going, oh, is that a is that a cutter that he started to throw? Is that is that a, I don't know, a, a slider or something to that effect? It wasn't, but it was it was that fastball jumping up there mid 90s with a little bit of something on it. And if he came around that one, or maybe had a little extra index pressure or a little extra pressure from his forefinger to make it do that, it's an interesting little dynamic that he's kind of added here. And being able to pitch at the top of the zone with that jumping fastball makes that curveball play a little bit better. And you already mentioned that changeup. He's been a nice asset for them. Those are the kinds of dudes, though, that Mike Rizzo has always, I think, done a really good job of. We'll throw this dart at the wall, this reclamation project that nobody was really in on, get something out of him, and spin him for dot, dot, dot. They didn't spin him, which maybe they didn't get an offer they like. Maybe nobody was calling or, or who Rizzo knows. on the radio station that you and I do our daily show on goes on every Wednesday with the sports junkies in the morning, and he basically said we weren't just going to give controllable relievers we like away. I mean, they I really believe they think he'll be pitching in the seventh inning or who knows, maybe the eighth inning at times for them next year. Sure. Really, every conversation we have about next year, I, I always mention this, and I think everything comes back to this. Who's your owner? Are they spending money, and what are they doing? Like, when does the owner get here? Are they aggressive this offseason? Do they want to make a splash right away? When Steve Cohen bought the Mets, he wasn't going to just rebuild, right? I mean, you knew right away he was throwing cash at that all of his problems at that team, and they were going to be good as fast as possible. If you get some big-money owner in here who just wants to win immediately and, and try to compete, very, very different than if someone buys this team and continues what could be a lengthy rebuild. But, yeah, there's a good chance this yeah. guy's pitching in high-leverage situations next year for them. You're going to eventually get Tanner Rainey back in the bullpen. Uh, he obviously had Tommy John surgery, so that won't be at the start of the year, presumably. And you're, you still got Finnegan, who is actually, I know it's an odd day to say it after he just gave it up, against the Cardinals, but he has been really good this year. Yes, he has been. Uh, and, you know, the, there have been a couple of those really rough outings. I, I remember one against the Reds, and now you, you have this one with the Cardinals here yesterday. But overall, the numbers paint a pretty good picture for him. More than a strikeout per inning. Um, you know, he's doesn't miss a ton of bats, but the stuff plays. I mean, he, he painted a 98-mile-an-hour fastball yesterday on, um, I'm trying to remember the, who the hitter was, left-handed hitter, maybe Carlson, where you just kind of go, you do that every time you'll be in the dugout with with handshakes. I mean, that was just really damn impressive. The stuff is there, certainly. And, you know, you make a couple mistakes and you get yourself a big inning or two. That's inevitable for the closer spot, but I'm with you. I, I, I've been pretty damn impressed with him as this season has gone on. It's winter, and you can now get almost anything you need for the coldest months of the year delivered with Uber Eats. What do we mean by almost? Well, you can't get a ski slope delivered, but you can get dish soap delivered. Sunshine, that's a no. But a bottle of wine, that's a yes. A snow angel, sorry, no, but angel hair pasta. Uber Eats can definitely get you that. Get almost, almost anything delivered with Uber Eats. Order now. Alcohol and select markets. Product availability may vary by region. See app for details. 
The Knot is where you'll find vendors for every wedding. Floral to fawn over. Cakes you almost don't want to cut. Oh, it looks so good. DJs to drop it to. Venues worthy of your grid. Photographers that make every hour golden hour. Really, vendors for any vibe. With the help of fresh reviews and a few useful filters, you can find your vendors faster than you can say, I do. The Knot Vendor Marketplace. Find vendors for every wedding at thenot.com slash audio. Long gone! Uh, one guy I just wanted to, to say that is always annoying to me is Yadier Molina. As we're taping this interview, he just homered for the second time today against Josiah Gray. A double the season total. I'm pretty sure he had two coming in. He did. He's got four now uh, in like 250 at-bats. He can kick rocks. Great player. And if we're doing this from a national perspective, I'd have a very different take on Yadier Molina. But on a Nats podcast, from a Nats fan perspective, just so annoying. Doing his curtain call. It's a 4-4 game as, as we tape here in the fourth inning. Gray, by the way, again today, victimized by two home runs. Leads the league. Uh, which is accounted for three of the four runs he's allowed. So a couple mistakes and otherwise has been okay. Uh, but he's, you know, at this point, looking like he could go maybe six innings. And if he locks it in, perhaps only allow those four runs. But, man, is, is it just so annoying that Molina has two homers all year. It looks like he would have to hit the ball, go pick it up, and hit the ball again to hit it out of the yard most nights. And twice, including this line drive that went barely over the wall a second ago. Just such a pain in the Nats' butt. Um, anyway, that, that's a, an aside as I'm being distracted by the TV in the corner. It feels like they're always playing against them, and it feels like he's always up, and it feels like he's always hitting right around 200, and it feels like he's the greatest Let's, living I'm going to look it up right now. What do you think? Because I bet you his numbers against the Nats are actually not that great. I, I bet you... Like, he's not Andrew McCutcheon, right? Andrew McCutcheon has never gotten out in his life against the Washington Nationals. And he just, I think, numbers approximate, he bats, with all the teams he's played on, probably 957 against the Nats. Numbers approximate. Freddie Freeman, career batting average against the Nationals. Of one. Would you say 750? <laughs> no, it's, I've actually looked, I looked it up recently. It's in the threes, and I can't believe it. Like it, it's I, I, like I, there's no. no chance it's in the threes. Yeah, I, yeah. I read the word, I read the letters and the numbers and the words, and I go, that's not correct. Like I stats that are great. They've gotten him out like yeah. seven times. Stats are great. That guy's 19 for seven every time he hits against the Nationals over the course of his career. All right, so I'm looking it up right now. Washington career numbers: two twenty nine, seven homers. <laughs> the seven bombs are, are kind of what I'm talking. Yeah, about. So now it's nine, I guess. I mean, it's nine home runs for that guy. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I mean, for how many games? Now, what's so this would be game 90. Okay. So he homers on average every, every 10, 10 games. games. Not crazy. That's a 16 homer pace. I mean, that that's not that crazy. But man, oh man, does it feel like he's just always taking jogs around the base pass. But uh, good research. All right. Luke Voigt in the loss yesterday had a uh, hit and a run scored. He homered and had three hits a day before that. I think Luke Voigt has been a really strong, serviceable responder to this trade. Just a respectable way to go about his business. Lest we forget, he thought he was about to be playing down the stretch for a Padres team that was competing for the postseason. Mm -hmm. Then Eric Hosmer didn't want to be traded and basically said, no, kick rocks, I'm not going to Washington. So Luke Voigt, knowing that the Nationals wanted nothing to do with him, had to go to Washington. I mean, that's basically how this happened. That's not fun. No. Then you go play for the worst team in the league where you know you probably don't have much of a future as it is. They already have their DH for the year in Nelson Cruz. They call up another guy the day you show up who's also a DH, Joey Manessis, who they're playing in first and right a little bit. And then nothing about this could be enjoyable for Luke Voigt. But so far in Washington, Danny, he has homered six times. You go through the numbers, 29 games and six home runs. That is a 33 home run pace for Luke Voigt who's hitting about 245 or so in Washington, he has been considerably better at the plate for periods than he was in San Diego. OPS is, is about 10 points higher than it was with the Padres, so similar production overall for the Missouri State product. But I just wanted to say I've, I've been happy how he's responded. I like how he's handled himself. He said all the right things. I wouldn't be surprised if quietly he or the team they go to each other this offseason and go, come on, <laughs> hey, what's the point of this? Right. You don't care about me. I don't care about you. Get me out of here where I can go hit home runs as a DH somewhere. I'm a Luke Voigt guy. Maybe I, he could be the DH here, I guess, but 
If I'm him, they've got like four of those guys. I, yeah. I would prefer to be elsewhere. Yeah, I totally understand it. But I, I have always liked him. I've always liked him from afar. I've always liked the way he goes about his business. I've always liked that he knows exactly who he is. He's here to lift all the weights he have and head it as far as he can to left field. He, you know what I mean? You're going to see a lot of chest hair. You'll see the necklace. Seems like a great guy to have around. And I mean that. He's t- he took to a not a great situation. I mean, listen, it's still big league ball, so it's it's not digging ditches. But I'm I'm with you 100. percent You could again, you could do a lot worse. There are he, he's not going to hit for a ton of average. That's just not his game at this stage. He's going to strike out a ton. But the power is very very real. I think his his with consistent at bats. I think his walk rate certainly could improve range in terms of on base. He's hitting 240. He could be a 30 homer bat in a lineup. And again. Is that world beating? Is that necessarily a guy you want hitting third or fourth on a first division team? Probably not. But again, you you could do a lot worse. That 2020 season where he led baseball with 22 homers and hit 277 with an OPS around .95, that was kind of one of those, I know it's a sprint, I know it was a 60-game type deal, but that stretch is pretty legit, man. You know, to in order, in order you know to, to to put up those kind of numbers in such a short time, if you hide him in a pretty good lineup as another presence, as a bopper, I think he could do some things. But I've always liked the guy. We've been talking about the resurgent Nationals, right? They'd won six of eight, I think, when we gave you your first podcast of the week. And, uh, you know, they've been way more competitive here over the last week and a half or so. A lot of that is that they're hitting. If you look at the last week, Luis Garcia is 10 for 28 over six games at 357 average. Cesar Hernandez has had a great little road trip here. New York and St. Louis, but he's five for his last 12 at the plate, a 417 average. K. Barrett Ruiz is six for his last 21, a 286 at 23, a 304 average. C.J. Abrams is seven for his last 20, obviously at a, a four-hit game, a 350 average. Um, you got a two-for-five clip going for Alex Call, who had an RBI knock against the Cardinals while we were taping here. Uh, the Joey Manessis last six games, eight for 28, a 290 average. Um, so you, you kind of run down the roster, Everybody over the last week is hitting on this team, except for Ildemaro Vargas, who's cooled off and is 217-5 for his last 23. But, I mean, almost literally everybody else. Victor Robles, for God's sake, is three for his last 10, batting 300 over this last week. He's played in four games. So you look at this, Danny, and I just think they really have caught some fire on offense. Not hitting for a lot of power. Garcia, Hernandez, Ruiz, Thomas, and Voigt all homering one time over the last seven days. And by the way, Cesar Hernandez, ladies and gentlemen. First home run of the go. season. There it is. Here we go. We were worried if he was going to get shut out. He went from 20-plus last year to zero for most of this year. Upper tanker, by the way. I know. How it it wasn't a wall scraper. I don't know. How do you not homer all year and then you hit a ball that would be out of any ballpark, basically? Yeah, that, that's that's out of, like, you know, 1905 ballparks that had no walls and fences. I mean, that was just absolutely crushed. To back up your point, the month of September – they, as a team, are batting 300 on the nose. That's coming into this game as, as we're taping today. OPS of 800. Um, just to let you know, as, as a group, they are swinging it. And it, it it's coincided with this group pitching better than they have all Especially, season long. yeah, in the rotation, right? Because the bullpen has at times been very good uh, and, and exceeded expectations. But in the last trip to the rotation, Corey Abbott uh, pitched four and a third one run ball. Uh, Patrick Corbin, seven innings, one run. Anibal Sanchez, great little streak. Anibal Sanchez, who's been rolling lately. Uh, five innings scoreless the other night. Josiah Gray is the one guy who's gotten tagged, and he just got yanked in the fourth inning with the bases loaded. Uh, but Eric Fetty, six innings, one run. Paolo Espino, five innings, three runs. I mean, you name the starter, they've given him a decent start. Just funny how those things happen. I was texting with a, a, a good buddy who's uh, with the Cardinals. Um, name dropper. I didn't. I no. I didn't drop the name. Named it. You'd say the buddy. It's a friend of yours. That's true. And you went to school with him. Yeah. I have a friend too. Darius has a friend too. I, I don't know. I just wanted to. I really wanted a reason to reason. You ding just my wanted bell. to hit the bell. I ding my bell too much. You want no. You wanted to hit the bell and have it be making fun of me. No, no, no. It really, it was just convenient in the moment. All I wanted to do. I love the sound of the bell on the air. If anyone listens to our daily show, I've just been. Coming up with reasons. Actually, Darius, when you got here today, what did, tell, tell Danny what I did. Uh, so, Grant mentioned the word mail, and he rang yeah. the bell. Mail and he said, as in, like, what you get in, in the mail, like you get a letter. Correct. Not a person. Right. Um, and he said, every time I said the word mail, I'm ringing the bell. I said, was that your first time saying it? He said, yes. That was the first time I said it. 
So that, that was just the bit just I got. I was like, every excuse. time anyone says mail today, I'm going to go. I've just been really wanting to ring the bell for you, some reason. You're just desperate to ring the bell. I don't know why. It was really jarring. I was like. I, and I do apologize. No, don't apologize to me. We're just, every time someone says apologize, I'm ringing the bell. It's too late to. See, I didn't. I, you thought I was going to, but then I didn't say that. Every time someone says gonna, I'm going <laughs> to ring the bell. God's sakes. All right. What the hell was I talking about? You were talking oh, about. Oh, yeah. So uh, my, I, I, I got a buddy who's with the Cardinals. Name drop. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. Keep no, going. it's okay. You're not sorry. You're, th- you're thrilled to hit the bell. But I, I was text For God's sakes, man. All right. That, honestly, this is this is excessive. It's too much. Don't do it again. Okay. Anyway, so I was text. I know you're going to do that. I was texting my buddy from, from the Cardinals last night or, or during the course of the series, and he was like, you told me you guys couldn't pitch. Like you told me that you guys, and I was like, "Oh, that's funny." You're, and he's like, "You guys are are nasty." So the first couple of days through the, you know, right. through the game, and he's you know in the eighth inning last night is after Corey Abbott's gone, as you said, into the fifth with one run, and the bullpen's throwing pretty good. He's like, "You're you're it's like are you guys the the you know seventy two A's? Are you the two thousand eleven Phillies over here with with Halliday and Lee and company?" I said, "Good pool on Halliday and Lee." Yeah, the last turn through the rotation, it's been a different animal. Was Fat Joe Blanton in that rotation, or was that too soon? <sighs> I'm going to say yes. Or I'm going to say yes. Maybe the late Corey Lytle? Would he have been in that rotation? Oh, now you're really straining my 2011 memory. 2011 The 2011 Phillies. Phillies. It's there was un- another guy. Sneaky, sneaky one of the great rotations of all time. Yes, but who? There, there was another big arm. Halliday and Lee. And other guys. Just say the other um, guys. Oswald? Roy Oswald? Yeah, Oswald. Would have still been with the Astros. Oh, you're right. Say. You're right. I mean, he did end up with the He ended up there. Uh, I'm looking it up. All right, do it. Pull it up. Oh, we're stupid. We're just stupid. That's what we are. We're stupid. By the way, Roy Oswalt was on that team. Oh, see? There we go. Advantage Darius. He had a 3-6 ERA and a 3-4 Hold on, before you say. What year was this again? 2011. 2011. Cole Hamels. Cole Hamels. There we go. Oh, for God's sake. Of course. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Darius. There we go. Anytime someone gets a left-handed pitcher for a division rival, right? I mean, Darius with the silly 2011 Phillies rotational knowledge. If you name the fifth pitcher in that rotation, I'll, I'll give you, Ooh. I'll give you fifteen hundred dollars. Oh man! Right now, I would, I my wife's going to be livid if you do it. <laughs> I would love I to be fifteen hundred dollars. I'll give you fifteen hundred bucks. That's too much. Oh man, I would love to be fifteen hundred dollars richer, but. I don't think I can pull right, this fifth picture. Um, no, you you don't get to do it. I don't know if you've been looking. It I up don't or not. know it. I don't know it. I'm going to tell you the first name, and I still don't think you'll get it. The first, and this is not for fifteen hundred dollars anymore. Just to clarify, understood. The first name is Vance. Damn it! I know a Vance too. I, you're going to say the last name. I'm like, I knew it. I don't have it though. Vance. Oh! 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 Is it, it. is it is it the dude with with the I'm actually talking to the microphone. This is podcast. He wore the the specs. Vance Worley. Vance Worley. Oh, oh. I know Vance Worley. Vance Worley. Vance Worley. Damn it. <laughs> Vance Worley. What a rotation that was. It was a good rotation. That's why yeah. I pulled it. It's like an all time rotation. Yeah. Uh, you're never gonna get through your story about your buddy from the Phillies. No, that was the end of it. He was just oh, like I, he, he goes like I thought you guys were you couldn't pitch, and I was like, well, if you'd caught us in. May, June, July, or the majority of August, that would have been correct. However, right. all of a sudden, Anibal Sanchez throwing 74 is nasty. Patrick Corbin now throws a sinker and apparently gets outs. Uh, Paolo Espino can't break glass with a fastball. He gets outs. The only guy that's been struggling is Gray, who you see on Thursday. This is the beauty of baseball, though. Yeah, I know. And, that, and that's mean, my point. What a it's, game. It's kind of like the correction of a lot of things that needed to be corrected all kind of happening at once. Uh, all right, you want to go around MLB really quickly? Might just be a fun little thing. Let's do it together. Uh, so in the American League East, the Yankees have free fallen, and the Rays are within five games. I still think the Yankees win the division. Uh, they've won four in a row. I think they're back. I, I, that isn't to say they're going to do what they did early in the season, but I think the worst is behind them. They channeled it. The gap was closed by Tampa, but I do think the Yankees win the East. Any now, disagreements on that? Well, they've had a few injuries recently. Anthony Rizzo went, went on the I.L. I believe Stanton went back on the I.L. as well, didn't he? Uh, yes, I think he was back on the shelf. Uh, they won 7-1 to against the Twins in a doubleheader yesterday, and he was not in the lineup. Uh, but uh, they had... I don't think he played in either game yesterday. Um, so you guys agree with me? Yankees win the division. I do. They, they got... 
regressioned a little bit, and it's a bad stretch right now. Someone beside, if they, by the way, if they could play the Minnesota Twins at home forever, <laughs> they would go one fifty eight and four every season. They, the Twins simply cannot beat them in Yankee Stadium. Um, somebody that's someone's going to have to step up besides Aaron Judge down the stretch. It's whether whether it's Torres, whether it's you know um, Stanton, who we, who we mentioned, somebody's going to have to hit to protect Aaron Judge, who's doing incredible things. Well, I think at they're going to have to put DJ Lemayhu on the shelf too, by the way, because Lemayhu, who hasn't hit in like three weeks, is also not healthy, and they're talking about putting yeah, him on, on the IL. Uh, then you got the Rays, one and a half up in the wild card over the Blue Jays, who are fending off the Baltimore Orioles. Birds are just so fun to watch right now. Adley Rutschman has been awesome for them, the young catcher, who they called up the former number one overall pick. They just brought Gunnar Henderson up, who's helped them. But it does look like the clock might be striking midnight a little bit after they had a tough series with Toronto. Uh, the Blue Jays, four and a half in the clear of Baltimore. So it could be Rays, Mariners, Blue Jays in the AL wild card. That would be fun. I mean, would the Rays be fun. are easy to root for because they don't spend any money, and they do it with analytics and smarts. The Mariners have the longest drought without making the playoffs in the sport, 20 years. And Toronto, north of the border. I love them. I've been to Rogers Center in the playoffs three or four times and have covered a couple league championship series there. And I'm telling you, there's not a louder, better, more energetic building than indoors at Rogers Center in Toronto when they're rolling. A bunch of young kids in Toronto, right? I mean, you know, you look at uh, Alejandro Kirk and Vladimir Guerrero Jr., both 23 years old. Bo Bichette's 24, like one of the elder statesmen there it's so much fun to watch that group go about it so they're kind of like the next or not even next they're the fun team for me that from from that perspective in terms of young stars you mentioned the rays they're doing it with calculators math and and intellect and that's really fun too just the 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 polar opposites of the yankees one the rays is kind of the upstart too is just always a blast over in the national league what a race in the east it's just a shame the nats are on the outside looking in here because, man, does it look fun for fans of the Mets and the Braves. Those games uh, now are going to be massive between those two teams, including a series at the end of the season. But the Mets have a half-game lead as we tape after they swept a doubleheader against the Pirates yesterday. Feel-good bounce-back day for their offense. Atlanta's won seven in a row, though. And what I think is so comical about this race is, if you see the way Mets fans are acting, they're pretending like this team is caving. They are suggesting, with, with like the commentary in New York is basically that they've fallen apart, they're collapsing again, this is so Mets, this always happens to us. The Mets have been great, if you go back, really, throughout the whole season. They're on pace to win 100 games almost. They play 630 baseball. 17 and 8 in July. Yeah. 19 and 11 in August, and a... a- Poultry four and three in September through through seven games. As you said, they're just fine. Scherzer's on the shelf. Looks like 15-day injured list for him, which obviously isn't great. But you're right. It, this is more to me about the Braves after their bad and poor start just being ridiculous. And they're a World Series favorite. The Braves are 22-8 and eight in their last 30. The story is Atlanta. It is not the Mets. I mean, if you look at the last 40 games in Major League Baseball, the Mets are 26-14. and 14. That's the fourth best record in the sport. The Braves just so happen to be 28 and 12, yeah. the third best record in the sport. So they've gained two games on the Mets while they're playing 26 and 14 baseball. If you extrapolate it out over 50 games, the Mets have been really good over 50 games. They're 33 and 17, fourth best record in baseball. The Braves are 34 and 16. So over 50 games, they've gained a game during that stretch when the Mets have been awesome. So just funny to see how people are panicking and, and covering this thing. But it does look like the NL East, which people, if you remember before the year, were beating up on a little bit, could end up having maybe three playoff teams. Because as of right now, the loser of the Braves-Mets divisional battle is going to be the top wildcard team hosting the, the winner of the two versus the three in the wildcard format. But right now, the Phillies are tied with the Padres for what would be the second and third wildcard spots. Both of them four games up on Milwaukee, who's lost two in a row in six of ten. And, and basically the Brewers, since the deadline, have just it fell it apart. It been good. It's not it, good. It, it fell apart for them. <laughs> uh, but let's say that, that it is those three teams. Basically, the Phillies have to beat San Diego for the right to then get to uh, Atlanta in the wild card. But um, I'll be really, really curious to see, number one, because of the divisional teams involved, but number two, the Soto situation. Yeah. I mean, he was getting booed by some fans in San Diego this past week. He, they're asking him now in the clubhouse. He was answering questions about his quote-unquote slump and 
you know, why he hasn't made more of an impact and why he isn't hitting for more power. You're seeing the graphics come out with Joey Manessis beside Juan Soto and the fact that Manessis has outplayed him since the trade deadline. Soto's OPS with the Nats was about 900 this year. It's 771 in San Diego. Very little power. Three home runs, three doubles so far, and, and about 100 at-bats for him. He's getting on base, He's not to the extent ton. that he normally would. You know, upper 300s, I think 397, whereas he's a career 43% guy. Um, but it's bo- mostly walks and a couple of singles here and there for him. And so he struggled a bit, and some fans are getting restless. Yeah, there's there's some pressure to perform all of a sudden. They're lucky and, the Brewers fell off, or they could miss the playoffs. Can you imagine? Indeed, that? I mean, one of their prizes at the trade deadline was Josh Hader, who has an ERA of two trillion numbers, approximate. Um, and Josh Bell. While we're talking, and Bell's about really that struggled. Trade. Josh Bell hasn't done anything for them either. All the Joshers are struggling. You're right, but they they need him to produce. Soto, the the walks are nice. I mean, we're you know, there's nothing wrong with them, but. RBI spots where he's coming up, and it's you know Machado's had such an amazing year. Uh, they need Juan Soto to drive the ball. They need RBIs. They need base hits that haven't been there, quite frankly. And he's you know he's I think he's dipped down into the two thirties since he's been there um, in San Diego. So yeah, I mean, it, and he spoke about it. I mean, it's one of the hard things to do to to approach the game with the ultimate intensity, fire, passion, drive, and compete at the super high level every single day. Then have that be sort of ripped away from you because you're on a team that's going to lose 120 games and you don't see a strike for for weeks at a time, and then ramp it back up. Ramping intensity back up is a hard thing to do. So he's pressing right now. We've seen him press at the start of a bunch of different seasons. He pressed at the beginning of 2019 where he tried to carry the offense at times and, and, and really scuffled before settling in. He pressed at the beginning of this season while they were losing, trying to hit the seven-run home run every time. And once he calmed down and you know, sort of got into, you know, the the rhythm and just let his natural incredible ability take over. You, you know, you, you saw him scuffle for a little bit longer than we're used to seeing. I, I remember doing a, a hit in San Diego radio um, uh, about Juan Soto and they were going, you know, what, what should we expect? What's the deal? What are the weaknesses? You know, because he's billed as such a superstar. And I said, well, here are the weaknesses. Defensively, eh, it's fine. I think he works hard to, to get better, but he's not, you know, a gold glover. He's not... Um, I don't know you could you could pick your he's not Jason Hayward out there in 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 right field or otherwise. So the other thing though is he tries really hard. I know it sounds like one of those bad interview questions where it's like if anything I care too much, but that's what happens. He presses when he feels it. He wants to do well so badly that you know grip the sawdust out of the bat and you know every time he gets a cookie, taking that enormous swing where his you know right shoulder is is you know halfway down the first baseline and his head flies out because he's trying to just kill the ball instead of just doing what he naturally does and. And, and driving the ball all over the place. So he's pressing is what it looks like to my untrained eyes. But, you know, the guy's too good to be kind of kept down for that long. So it, it'll turn for him. But I am. I'm excited to see it. Josh Bell, 193 average in Oof. San Diego. 301 with the Nats before the trade. He had an 877 ops this year in D.C. 631 in San Diego. Yikes. So uh, there's probably some boo birds out for him as well. Rated T for Teen. Mirage here, legend of the Apex games, but you knew that. But you might not know about all the huge changes that just hit Apex Legends. Legends like me can now get personalized upgrades throughout the match for doing some seriously cool stuff. Oh, and there's new limited time modes that make the fighting faster and more, uh, fightier. And don't forget unlockable legends with bonus rewards and the brand new map, Thunderdome. It's my announcer voice. I'm workshopping a new character. You know what? Just go play Apex Legends Breakout, you foozles. Why am I always out? Ludicrous. Did you say play rollout? What? No. Jiff. Order more. Finding directions to nearest diamond store. Shop for Jiff. Hip hop for kids. Buy Jiff peanut butter. Got it. Adding Jiff to your cart. Yeah, now we're talking. Jiff peanut butter. It's that Jiffing good. Ludicrous confused his voice assistant for it. All right, let's dabble down to the minor leagues and talk about some of the prospects in the Nats system. Yarlin Susana pitched last evening and threw probably his best outing yet as a national, actually. Four innings of one hit, one run ball, walked one and struck out six. I talked a lot about him a couple pods ago. Um, Darius, do you remember which... Did it say something about Susana in the headline if people want to go grab it? Um would have been my trip down to Fredericksburg. Yeah, yeah. I, actually, I believe that was the title of the podcast, okay. a, a trip to Fredericksburg. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah you guys want to go check that out. So 
I sat um, near one of the folks with the Nationals and kind of eavesdropped and looked over their shoulder at some of the, um, the readings they were getting. And I mean, he was routinely sitting 101, 102, and he touched 103, and he's done that in all of his starts. But the dude's just massive. Four innings, one hit, one run, six Ks. Really, really exciting. Uh, in that game, uh, a couple of other notables. Um, TJ White, who's a teenager, who's one of the younger players at the beginning of the year in that league, was one for five with a run and two batted in. And congrats to the Fred Nats who have been trying to punch their ticket to the playoffs in the second half. Uh, they did so. So they are they are postseason bound, uh, which is really, really cool. But that was episode 33. Episode 33. Episode 33 if you want to go back and listen to that. Uh, what do you think, though, Danny? Four innings of six punchy ball with just a hit and a run for Susana. The the results to me are are always going to fluctuate. You know whether it's you don't have great defense behind them or some of the analytics. If if he's getting barreled, you know that's that's something to to look for and indicate. But as he starts to grow and mature and and deal with some of the adversity that's bound to happen, is the stuff still playing? Is is he you know kind of kind of continuing to tweak and simplify and and. It's exciting, man. It again, the, the guy, prospects like this just don't come along. They just don't make guys this big that throw that hard that easily. All everybody throws hard now, but most of these dudes are lab built. You know, they've got the the same set of um, incredible cameras and resistance bands and all the technology. And otherwise, this is just a big, raw, natural, hard throwing sob. And it's really, really cool to see him have any kind of success at this point, right? I mean, you think about these dudes that haven't really been doing this for that long. You know, you think of um, on you and I love Hard Knocks on on HBO. The the guy that picked up football like six weeks ago to trying to make the Detroit Lions as a left tackle, that kind of stuff. It's just remarkable that people can have that much natural ability, and you're catching one now as as a teenager. It's amazing. Mitchell Parker, who I think is one of the most underrated prospects in the Nat system, you know, according to some of the national pundits, uh, he is interesting. So he went to San Jack, which is the JUCO in uh, Texas where Jackson Rutledge was drafted in the first round. The Nationals drafted him in the fifth round in 2020 during the pandemic year with the 153rd pick, and I'm pretty sure that was a five-round draft, so they got him right there at the end of that draft. But he has had an outstanding season statistically. His ERA is 2.88 in 24 starts. He's pitched in 100 innings, and he struck out 117 batters. A couple of issues for the 22-year-old, and he's a left-handed 22-year-old. Number one, he's done it all year long at A-plus ball in Wilmington. I have referenced this on the show. I'm not going to beat a dead horse, but I always get frustrated by how methodically the Nats move their arms through the system. I, I just don't get that. Like, he was so dominant for such a long stretch in A-plus ball. It's, it's fairly egregious to me uh, that he is still where he is, to be honest, in that, you know, he made four starts in April and pitched to a two ERA, and then three more starts in May and pitched to a two and a half, and then six more st starts in June, and in 27 innings had a 1.65 ERA. So for three straight months, his earned run average was basically under two in A-plus ball. Then in July, he made four starts and had a .4. I mean, at, at some point, if you don't get promoted, I feel like it could be mentally taxing, right? You're like, what in the hell do I have to do? So not surprisingly, in August, he got shelled. Uh, in a couple of starts and in five outings, he had an ERA over eight. So that really makes his season numbers, which otherwise would be video game level, look just a little bit more like good than spectacular with a 2.8 ERA and the 117 Ks in 100 innings. But I will say, and, and this is I'm sure what the Nats would say, they'll always tell you, oh, he's got this to work on and that to work on. He walks way too many batters. That was going to be the point I brought up. And it, it's it's a problem. I mean, it, frankly, it's, it is a, it's a legitimate thing. It's a big deal. He's got 67 walks this season uh, in what is 100 innings. So you'd have to do the math better than me. Six bases on balls per nine. Six per nine is is not okay. Um, that's about three more than you're comfortable with. Probably four or three and a half more than you'd prefer than is ideal. And so that's, that's going to determine whether you can start or you're a reliever, or frankly, whether you're a good big leaguer or you're not. He just has to lower that number. But he gets swings and misses. He's been dominant for most of the year at A-plus ball. So those are good signs. Clearly. And I, I don't know if I mentioned real quick his line last night. The whole mm -hmm. reason I'm talking about it, I'm sorry. Four innings, scoreless, five strikeouts, allowed four hits. Clearly he's got stuff, as you said, more than uh, a strikeout per inning, 10.5 per nine. That The stuff is absolutely it plays, but it's the walk rate. And I think that's probably what the Nats would tell you. I would say, cool, he's dominating this level despite – getting away with some of these things. What's he learning? That he can still get away with these things? 
let's promote him and have him get knocked around a little bit. Let's have some people at at double A say, hey, if you want to walk me now, you know, you have to come into the next guy and, and you'll you'll have some crooked numbers against you. Sort of force him to adjust. But to your point, his whip is one point four. Which, again, as you said, too high. And it's because of that walk rate that, that's got to come down. But, you know, it can be one of those things where they, they're so rigid, it seems like, in terms of their metrics and milestones for some guys that you simply have to meet, otherwise you're not moving up. And it's, to me, you know, 24 starts down at high A ball for a guy that, you know, had to get shelled a couple times to get his ERA up the 2.88. Seems like high time this guy gets promoted. Again, if he was 15, if, 15, if he was 17, 18 years old, Okay, that's fine. He's 22. He's not, you know, he's not a senior citizen, but he's also not the youngest dude on the ranch. Let's put him up in double A here. Yeah, I just, it's a constant frustration for me. Uh, Robert Hassel, Bobby Barrels, 21-year-old, one of the centerpieces in the Padres trade. So he did hit his first home run in the system within the last week, which is good. Only home run he's hit since coming over, and he's got 11 on the year. There's going to be some question about power. I had a good conversation with him. I think I mentioned on the podcast where he's very, very confident in how much power he'll hit for moving forward as he fills out and gets thicker. Uh, he's got 23 steals. He can play defense. So, really, if, if he only is a 20-homer bat, he could still be a really good big leaguer. And I think most of the people I talk to think he's kind of a 20-homer, 80-RBI, 20-25 steal outfielder who can still help you a whole lot. And he, if he hits close to 300, which is the expectation, he could be a, a really good big leaguer. But... I wanted to point out that after what was a, a really treacherous kind of stretch of offense after the trade, he seems to have dug out of that. He's seven for his last 24, hitting about 292 in September in, in six games in double A ball uh, since being bumped up with an 828 OPS. So he had a couple of walks and a double yesterday. He's been driving the ball a little bit more often with extra base hits. All really good signs to close out the year for Hassel. I know I sound like a broken record, but that's what this game is, especially for developing players. It's a game of adjustments where you hike up a level, you go as a 20-year-old up to double A. That's grown-ups now. That's no longer kids working on this or that other thing. Those, those are guys that are trying to knock on the door of the major leagues. That's that's a grown men's league right there. So you're, there's going to be adversity. There's going to be these guys have, have better stuff. They know where it's going. They're going to pitch you much more carefully and, and in tune, and you've got to rise to that challenge, figure out what they're doing, counteract it. And it sounds like he's doing that. If you don't have the aptitude, you're, and you're someone like me that's talking about the sport, you can never adjust. There's You have no trick in the bag. That guy does. He can put the barrel in the baseball, and uh, it's good to see him pick it up a little bit. There's some uh, good accounts out there now that follow the Nats minor league system pretty well. I really like a Twitter account called at Nats Farm. I think they've done a, a really good job. Love that account so much. It's so good, right? They'd be great, yeah. Uh, they do like these graphics um, where they post after at the end of each day, like which teams, uh, like what players did at each level with some pictures and stuff. And uh, if you haven't checked them out and you're trying to keep up with the minor league system, it's worth it. And my interactions with them have always been very positive, and uh, they seem very pleasant. So worth uh, checking out at Nat's Farm on Twitter if you if you're looking for. Um, you know, an account to uh, to follow, and we can, you know, we'll, we'll give more out as we go, uh, some of the accounts that we uh, like a whole lot um, for Nats content. Anything else that we got to do here before we get out of uh, this episode of Bustin' Loose Baseball? Unfortunately, it looks like JoJo didn't make it through five, so that's that sucks. Yeah, hopefully yeah. they pull this off 4-4 game right now, but you guys are listening probably some random day, like four <laughs> days from now. So. What are these guys talking about? Did disregard all <laughs> They rang the bell for from, an hour? From what is me, going on? Yeah. I'll ring the bell every time we mention the <laughs> game going on right now. I just wanted to follow up because you had mentioned earlier. You oh, no, like, no, I'm not blaming you. Hopefully Why'd Jojo you blame Darius? I'm the one that kept bringing up the game that was going on while we were taping Well, it's distracting. Podcast. Thompson steps off, grabs the uh, rosin bag, Alec Burleson. Right now, Alec Burleson staring at his two-tone bat. By the way, he looks like a bad guy in like Rookie of the Year or some movie where some kid has to pitch to him. He just looks like a jerk, doesn't he? I mean, not not in a mean way, but just like a the the, the yeah, final it, scene of a movie. Yeah, it looks like a, a kid movie. a kid's baseball movie villain. Yeah, he's gonna like hit a bomb off Mason Thompson. I still don't get why Mason Thompson wasn't in the major leagues all year. For the record, yeah, no, I think he had options and they needed some roster moves. I yeah, that's, I would have kept him up, but that, I'm just that was definitely kind of what they did. But like for for Erasmo Ramirez, is that what we're talking about? That's what they were talking about. ERA in 12 appearances, so it's, it's been good to see him in the show. Uh, 97, inner half right there, by the way. Also, the Cesar Hernandez home run, Kevin Franzen's reaction was priceless. He could he just couldn't Crushed believe it. it. He couldn't believe that 
they fi- that he finally hit a home run. He got was one. so fired Perfect. up for him because he knows, you know what, what how much he's been getting worn out in the clubhouse by all the dudes too. You know that that's been crazy for him. All right, one more pitch for you. Fastball swung on in mid. Ah, foul tip. Oh, foul ball left field. Mm. That's your reminder that broadcaster should be in the ballpark. That's right. <laughs> also, how is anyone hitting? Like, the shadows kind of suck right now. Oh, it's terrible. Right? Pe- people don't understand how hard I that mean, is. I mean, like, seriously, look at these shadows right yeah. now. I can barely even see home plate. Now, in fairness, we're, we're looking at, like, a dark TV that's pretty awful. But remember that? Games, pl- remember the playoff game that was here? When yeah. actually when Adam Wainwright started and yep. it was like that four forty six p.m. in like October, uh, Scherzer and and Wainwright made it impossible. And Adam Eaton, who we talked to, you know, I can't remember when we talked to him. Some some, some point after that game was basically like, I had no idea what was coming. I couldn't see it all. I went full Costanza. He had thrown me. You know, every time I'd guessed on something, I'd I'd been wrong. I guessed and then quite literally looked for the exact right. opposite. That was and then, in St. Louis. It was yeah. in St. Louis, and then hit that huge double to extend the lead. All right, uh, let's play a quick game. If you guys get the answer right, I'll ding the bell. All right? Who leads the Nationals in home runs this year? Juan Soto. Juan Soto's the answer with 21. Who leads the Nationals in strikeouts this year? Pitching or hitting? Hitting. Uh, Michael Franco. Nelson Cruz. Nelson Cruz. Wow. All right. Who leads the Nationals in on base percentage this year? Juan Soto. Uh, that was a dumb question. I think we've reached the end of the road here. Yeah. Boston loose baseball, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. We're back at it early next week. Thanks for listening. And uh, rate and subscribe and review and, and say nice things. Yeah, pretty much what you do. Find us Apple Pods, Google Play Store, uh, Spotify, Odyssey app. Easy to find us. Rate, review, subscribe. You say something nice about us, we'll talk about it on the show. There we are. Hey, mediocre episode in the books. Here we go. 34, you got your chest hair out. 34. The NFL regular season is wrapping up, but there's still time to get in on the action with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $150 in bonus bets, win or lose. The app is so easy to use, and there are so many different ways to bet, like live same-game parlays, find bets in the new Explore tab, make a parlay in the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com SportsFan and make your first bet a layup. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. A bonus issued as is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER.